You're listening to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Hey, my name is Mike Cosper, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor of worship and arts at a church here in Louisville called Surgeon Community Church, and uh, it's my privilege to moderate this panel here tonight. Um, and... Why don't we, instead of me introducing everybody, why don't we go through, introduce yourself, um, tell the folks uh, where you're from, and, uh, and I'll pick it up from there, and we'll start, start with Kreider. I want to start with you. We're going to start with you. No. Are we on? We so are on. We're all on. My name's Harold Best. I live in uh, a little bit north of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, this is, I forget which time I've been here, but it's always good to be back. I'm... I'm, I'm always amped up by being around young people whom I miss so much in uh, not only in my retirement, but in my dotage. So uh, I'm here, and thank you for, for welcoming people like me. <laughs> Great folks. Ron? Uh, my name is Ron Mann. I'm pastor of worship and missionary in residence at First Evangelical Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and director of worship resources international. Obviously, you didn't trust me with the mic. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I see everybody else's mic. I'm Bob Coughlin. <laughs> I don't think you get one, Bob. Oh, there you go. Bob, Bob, this is a mic. This and Bob. Talk into it. Pick it up first. No one told me beforehand that the mic was going to be in my seat. Uh, I'm from right here in Louisville, director of Sovereign Grace Music, pastor at Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville, and it is a great honor to be on this panel tonight. I'm Paul Tripp. I was able to figure out by myself that I had a mic. Oh, that's so wrong. So I'm glad I'm here. Uh, from uh, Philadelphia. Hand Kreider the mic. Here, here. Here's your mic. Harold was the only one who got good applause tonight so far. And that's appropriate. I think that's that'll a, be a theme. That's entirely appropriate. I think that'll be a theme. That will be appropriate. Yeah. I'm Joe Kreider, and I serve here... Yeah, they're all in my class, and they know that they'll get an A for that. That's the only reason. My name is Joe Kreider. I serve here at Southern Seminary, and I also am on the uh, the pastoral staff at Highview Baptist Church in town as well. Well, I think um, I, I was I was thinking uh, that we might actually start off this with one of the games that was played earlier, where we all stand up and we sit down according to ages yeah. as we. Uh, <laughs> Probably won't do that, though. I think, uh, yeah, I definitely You lose. bombed once, Mike. I know. I'm just going to keep it going. Hey, so we sang two hymns earlier tonight that, that raised a question for me. We, ra- we sang, uh, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing, and we sang, uh, we sang It Is Well. And both of those, those hymns deal with, with interesting themes. Um, the, the, the line, um, I, I, over the years at Sojourn Church, one of the things that we do is whenever we do baptisms, we have people write out their testimonies and we read them during the services. And I have heard the phrase prone to wander appear over and over and over again in the testimonies of people 
in my church. And, um, and so there, there's a real profound theme there of, of temptation, of wandering, of brokenness. Um, you know, I mean, in the, the story of the, the author of that hymn, I mean, it's a disputed story, but, you know, Robert Robinson, who wrote the hymn, uh, some accounts say, you know, he died a drunk. You know, he died destitute and a drunk and, um, you know, just struggled his whole life. And then we also sang It Is Well With My Soul, which is, again, a story, uh, a hymn with the story of, of the tremendous loss, the, the death of the wife and children of the, uh, the hymn writer. And both of those songs account for a depth of suffering. And we look around the room here, and there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of age in the room. It's a, it's a, there is some, but there's a pretty young room. There's a lot of young worship leaders here. And so I'd love to start with this panel and, and maybe have a conversation around um, pastoring worship in the midst of suffering, pastoring worship in the midst of a congregation who is suffering. What have you learned um, what have you learned from experiences of, of suffering in your own life and in the lives of the congregations that you've served um, that, that could be helpful for those who maybe haven't experienced depths of suffering, um, but as we all know, we inevitably will. And well, I'm going to say... I, I will respond. Yeah. Because this is very fresh for me. About a, about a month ago, I walked to Jefferson Hospital because I was experiencing some, uh, what I thought were minor symptoms. I walked to the hospital, uh, stopped at Starbucks on the way, <laughs> because it exists. <laughs> and uh, did not realize that I was in the midst of acute renal failure. Hmm. Uh, arrived at the hospital with a quarter of my kidney function and uh, proceeded to go through things that I never thought I would go through. Uh, first 36 hours of just unbearable, remarkable pain. It's been, for me, a very humbling experience. It's confronted my delusions of invincibility. And I've experienced things that I thought I was beyond fear, real fear, discouragement, discontent, uh, not anger with God, but struggles of heart that I did think I was beyond. Uh, and it's, it's made me th think how how much of ministry for me has been propelled by my belief that I'm somebody that I'm not. And how quickly uh, that was revealed through a situation of physical suffering. And the, the, the nature of life in a fallen world is this, that if... If you're not suffering now, you will someday. And if you're not suffering now, you're near someone who is. I mean, it's, it's abs absolutely impossible for worship not to intersect with suffering. Because worship is the universal calling of people, and suffering is a universal experience of people. And so we're, 
we're always dealing with the intersection of those two things. And maybe true worship, uh, selfless surrender worship, lives best at the intersection of those two things. When I abandon all the selfism that suffering has revealed and give myself with a more open heart than maybe ever before to the worship of God. Well, and, and even what you just described, you know, this idea of, of true worship, well, what is the truest, the truest example of worship is, is Christ's worship of the Father and the, the, the profound expression of that on the cross, which is the intersection of suffering and worship and obedience. Um, Maybe, um, Ron, I think it'd be interesting to hear from you on this, just in, in pastoring a congregation, um, how have you seen that intersection of suffering and worship um, affect the life of your church? Well, again, I can, I can speak personally. I've had some health problems, not to the level of Paul, but uh, just wanted to add it quickly, cures you of a sense of irreplaceability as well uh, in the ministry and what you're doing. So... Um, that as well as coming alongside people, even somebody this week who's uh, had serious surgery uh, this morning, uh, is, uh, is a privilege to point to people. On a, and Psalm 63 that Matt read from earlier today is, a, is a, such a beautiful example because there David is on the run for his life from Absalom out in the desert, and that's where he's thirsting after God. And one commentator has pointed out there's no request in the entire psalm. There's only praise. Because though he's on the run for his life, he says, your, your loving kindness is better than life. And uh, so it's harder to learn that when you're in the crucible of it. Um, but that truth certainly holds. And, and Job, Job chapter 1, when he's lost just about everything, we read at the end of that chapter that he bows down and worships. As the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So, so worship is not the absence, in the absence of suffering or just in the good times, but it drives, uh, we're driven back to worship as we go through hard things personally and as a congregation as well. It probably could be safely said, certainly theologically affirmed, that perhaps the quintessential act of worship uh, that we know in the history of humankind, which of course includes the incarnation and death of Christ, uh, was captured by him on the cross when in total forsakenness he used the personal pronoun my in calling out to God whom he immediately named after the, the pronoun. And no one suffered as he did. The extent of it is immeasurable. And I think even when we come to know as we're known uh, in the final resurrection, we will not be able to comprehend the death of God in the deepest and most profound Christological sense. Nor will we be able to measure the heights of worship in that act of faith that the Son of God, the man Christ, 
uh, uttered in those two words, my God. So I, I think that um, there's no way to comprehend suffering by trying to figure out who suffers most or to get too deeply into one's personal sojourn as to what suffering is to me or you or anybody else. Those are all important data. But um, uh, in that, the worst thing we can say to anybody who suffers is, I know what you're going through, that is, that's hockey. Uh, because we don't know, nor do they know what we know. Suffering is part of the gift of individuation that coupled to the fallenness within which we live, which is also individuated and not cloned. Um, the, uh, the identity with which we uh, articulate our theology of suffering, if we can put it that way, with regard to brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors, is never to try to outgun their story, uh, nor to even be equal to their story. And of course, our suffering could never be less than theirs because our pride would never allow us to say that. So it's either the same as or more than, so I know what you're going through, brother, why don't you ask me about mine? And so we have, we have the wonderful conversations um, that so often exist uh, uh, over a pizza or biscuits and gravy or a beer or whatever. And um, I, I, I think that in that we all had better suffer if we haven't, and if we have, we still don't know what it really is to suffer because of the both special and commonly gracious protections of the Lord himself who does things to us in the depths of darkness that we might not be able to comprehend so, we can, so that we can never say, I'm a 10 on the pain scale uh, in his eyes. Uh, so the, the, the pastoral mode within which we should find ourselves when we suffer is somehow to begin in the my God uh, uh, testimony of our Savior on the cross and take our cues from the possession of God by him in the most profound suffering ever and that'll keep us from palliatives and spiritual aspirin and uh, ministerial uh, Xanax and the kinds of things that we sort of like to rub uh, the pain off of our parishioners or our friends' shoulders by the stroke of our therapeutic hands. Well, it seems like... It, uh, I'm not I, done yet. I don't mean to interrupt. <laughs> but, <laughs> and, isn't it, it... And if that makes you suffer... <laughs> for me to continue for as long as I have, bear in mind that so far today, you've had to suffer a lot of long-winded people. <laughs> so what, what, and I say, I say that with the grace of God dribbling off my lips. Uh, the, the point being, what were you gonna say? <laughs> No, I, 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 loved, I loved the fact that you're equating it to, uh, 
you know, to, to, to these medicines sort of that we can just throw off because, because I think oftentimes what I've experienced in myself is that when people come to me with their suffering, I want to have, what's the, what can I say to make your pain go away, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, because the hardest thing to do, you know, you look at the story of Job, the, the harder thing for Job's friends to do was to go sit with them and keep, his, keep their mouths shut. That's right. And that was the most loving thing they do in the whole book. Um, when they start opening their mouths, all kinds of trouble unfolds. Intercession of the most knee-breaking kind on the part of believers. Uh, for, for somehow us, for us in the spirit to say, I, I want in Christ so badly to bear your burden. I can't, mm. but I can intercede praying that my faith will be gigantic enough for me to enter into your suffering at a level that can only be uh, equated to passionate intercession. And um, so uh, the cliche, I'll pray for you, brother, is not a cliche. That could be the essence of, of the intercessory work of the church in bearing each other's burdens and weeping with those who weep, laughing with those who laugh, to the, the extent to which a praying church is the most articulate testimony that the world has as to the way we enter into suffering. Well, a couple more questions I want us to kind of explore, and maybe we'll, we'll start with Joe and work our way down, uh, not to cut you out. But <laughs> Heavens, no. <laughs> no, but I, 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 I think, um, again, to, to sort of appeal to the wisdom here, um, you guys have seen in, in your lifetime, you've seen dramatic changes in the culture of worship in the church in North America. Um, maybe give us each uh, uh, a, a word or two about what, you're, what are you really encouraged by and what are you really discouraged by in, in the ways things have shifted. Start with you, Joe. Boy, there, there are a lot of things that I'm encouraged by. Um, the centrality of the word that um, as we, because there, Harold, you have said this in many times we've been together, but, and I use this phrase a lot with our classes, the idea that music is a wonderful servant, but it's a horrible master. And for so many years, in worship ministries, music ministries, the music was the kingpin. And it, it was, it was, they were so song-based, song-driven. Worship was, let's, what songs are we going to pick? Boy, those keys work together well. All the things that were song-centric and not scripture-centric, not gospel-centric, not Christ-centric. And I think in seeing the, conferences like this, doxology and theology, and a, a whole new understanding of that we gather around the gospel. We don't gather around the song. And we gather, we gather around Christ. We gather around the gospel, I think, has been just transforming in so many ways, especially coming up through the years of... of it was the broadcast generation of, of more of an entertainment-based idea, and that's to to be moved toward this is has just been a a 
transforming aspect of it. Paul? Yeah, it, it, it sounds almost weird to say, but the encouragement of worship that's driven by the gospel, where the gospel is central. That, I mean, it seems crazy to even have to say that, but that is so incredibly encouraging. I mean, I love when I'm the speaker and I want to get up and say, just do what, what we've just sung. Just go out and live it. Because it's been so rich in content, so Christ-centered, so deep in its spiritual hope. That's wonderful. If I have a concern, it's, it's that we not forget the essential elements of worship that lead people from where they are to where they need to be. There's a, there's a motion in worship that should always, always be there. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, in a way, it's gospel-rich, but it doesn't have that, that movement in it that, that is just remembering the, the classic elements of worship that, that just need to be there, no matter what the form of worship is. In the sense, you mean sort of the, the liturgical dialogue of sure. God's holy, we're sinners, Jesus saves us, you know. Bob, uh, you've, really been, you've been quiet, Bob. Hey, what? You've been quiet. You know, I was going to say something about suffering, but I just thought, you know, Harold said it all, so I'll just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> he just threw you under the bus, man. Hey, hey we, we honored Harold another time, didn't we? Should I honor him now? We should. Well, let me just say, no one has taught me more about how music functions in the corporate worship of God's people than that guy right there, Harold Best. Um, has nothing to do with the question. Oh, I, could, I could tie it into my answer, though. What I'm uh, really encouraged by, after what Joe and Paul said, is the writing of songs and books that have to do with the worship of God the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. There, most of you guys don't know, like back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, like if you went to look for a book on worship, there were three, maybe. And one of them was the Bible. And <laughs> you, there just was not a lot there. And since then, we've had David Peterson, Ron's done stuff, Harold's done stuff, Mike's done stuff. We've, uh, they're, they're, Paul's done idolatry worship stuff. And there's just so much that has been, uh, Matt Papa just did something, uh, I'm leaving someone out, I'm sure, but there are just all these, Dan Block just wrote a great book, and there are just, it's just wonderful to have this, all these resources available to us. And then the songs, the, the number of songs that we have accessible to us instantly, like never before in history. So that means there's no reason to sing a dumb song. There's no reason to sing a bad song. There's no reason to sing a song with a line you're wondering, hey, what does that mean? You can sing good songs because there are so many of them. So that is really encouraging. Concern. <laughs> the concern is that we... Uh, Paul, you referenced this concern is that we, we miss the object of our worship for all the things that, that are accompanied that we use to, to magnify him. Production, performance, technology. It's such a trap. It's, it's always around us. 
And there is nothing more glorious than knowing Jesus Christ. And that's what we're seeking to lead people to. And we can just put up roadblocks uh, very easily. I think our, our, our culture enables that to happen easily. Reaching back before many of you were born, uh, the first Maranatha Praise Chorus book, piggybacking what you said, you know, sort of the, the beginning of the praise and worship collections, had one mention of the death of Christ in the entire collection. So the maturing of the contemporary music uh, form and the types of songs we've sung today and the Christ-centeredness and the cross-centeredness has been an amazing development. And along with that, the fact that a conference like this was unthinkable 50 years ago. And now they're not only happening in Louisville, they're happening in different places all around the world. So there's an amazing reformation of worship that A.W. Tozier, as a prophetic voice, helped to touch off, uh, that he'd be amazed that he could see what's happening today if he were still alive. Um, but again, what's, uh, another great encouragement, it's what's happening all around the world. And in the world of missions, we'll talk about some tomorrow, is how there's a new recognition on the part of missionaries of learning to get into a culture, to listen, to learn, to value, and to validate a local cultural expressions of worship and encouraging them, their development among people groups all around the world, as well as among generations in our own country, is an amazing development that's come uh, light years in the last uh, few decades. So one concern would be just uh, the wedding of doxology and the theology, as John, sets, John Stott said, no doxology without theology, and no theology without doxology. So that wedding that was the genius of this movement, and thank you, Matt, and the others, uh, that, that may that tribe increase. It, may, it needs to spread through all of our churches. Um, what these gentlemen to my, to my left have said about the increase in any number of, let's call them, uh, functional proficiencies, theological proficiencies. Uh, I, I, I join in heartily. Uh, and uh, that will allow me not only to, to feel so encouraged by what they've said, but to maybe ask a couple questions about things that are of, of concern to me, and they need not be in any order. Um, before that, I, I want to really emphasize what this gentleman has said about what is now known as uh, ethnomusicology or missiological ethnomusicology. Uh, ethnodoxology is not the same as ethnomusicology. Uh, ethnodoxology means that all the people praise, and ethnomusicology means that all the people sing. And the two can be coupled, but there is a discipline called ethnomusicology, the study of the music of the peoples of the world. And what that has done has, is to open our eyes to a, uh, not a universal aesthetic, there is no such thing, but to a, a universal uh, uh, something in the human heart. Uh, Tripp called it seeking. We can move that over into the quest for quality. It's there everywhere. And there is no particular universalized aesthetic that can be applied to the world, which leads to my, one of my concerns. There's a resurgence of trying to moralize music and to infer t typologies that, due to a, a kind of a being re-suckered by Plato and even Augustine and others, 
who, uh, uh, who uh, people who are trying to tell us that there are musical types that have morally causal or indicative power that either have to be um, avoided or adopted. That has gone on ever since idolatry was invented, and it's as old as the fall, and, it, but it's getting new again. And so we have things like fire choir, uh, where uh, you sing a certain way in order to bring the Holy Spirit down. You have the whole Bethel, and I, I, if I'm hurting or offending people, so what? I, I'm not, no, 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 I'm not trying to. That's I'm what you have to look to. forward to I'm trying to old. say. I'm trying to say what, I'm trying to say what's true. You cannot, you cannot do anything that God alone can do by your choice of chords, musical types, or anything like that. That's all garbage. But the, but, but the, the kindred concern that I have is, and I'm going to talk about this when I, when I speak again, is this loose-headed, flabby-lipped musical relativism where you say anything goes, amen? And, and then anything does go, and it, most of it should go down the drain, but it's, it's, it's listen to me. The, the extremes of musical relativism where you don't care what and you have no sense of contextual appropriateness. That's right. And the extreme of trying to uh, wait on the philosophers to tell you what is appropriate or holy or whatever. Those two extremes, they're, they're here and they need to be fought, not philosophically, but theologically. That's right. That is a deep concern to me. And the other one, I say this with kindness, D.A. Carson touched on it this morning, uh, uh, and I think he was being very polite. I want to be too. I still can't figure out why worship conferences are basically about music. I still don't know what the word worship leader means. I really, I, I, I love what you are and what you're doing, but I cannot for the life of me infer anything out of scriptures that tells me that a human being leads worship, especially when leading worship does not comprise the whole uh, get-go in a corporate gathering. I say that kindly and carefully. Terminologies will change. The word conversation, as we well know, in the King James meant one thing, and the word conversation now means another. But we still use the word conversation. So worship leader might still continue to be lose, used, but for goodness sake, do not consider yourself to, to own leadership in that which only the Holy Spirit can author. I know you know it, but I don't know whether you know it. And, 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 and I, I just, I, I say that with great love. I cannot get over the excitement I get in my 83rd year of being around you characters and, and, and knowing your love for Jesus and the way you're making fresh music freshly and old music freshly. And uh, I thank God for you. I do. But just watch it. Watch it. That's great. I think uh, why don't we give the whole panel our, our appreciation. For the